Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And more dad than racer, my name's Dusty Michael. <laughs> that was a good intro. That is a good intro. I like that. Oh, Thanks. We are track walking. Uh, we haven't done a proper interview for many moons uh, because it's been full race season nonsense silliness and we've been doing the actual track walking thing uh so it's been a while since we've had like a proper i don't know if we want to call this a studio session because i'm in a zebra printed cupboard uh seth is just in the corner of his bedroom and dusty is hiding in his basement so but here we are how are you doing dusty um, I'm not as hot as you are. So it's, it's, the temperature is well regulated in the basement. Mm. Um, uh, other than that, pretty, pretty well, pretty nice. good. So I'm going to open this door. There is a door here. I don't know if you knew. Still I, I have no idea what's behind the curtain. I've never asked. It's a door. No. Uh-huh. Oh, there you go. I'm definitely, I do open. like that Dusty's basement is all painted white. Like it, it looks like, I don't know where you live, but it looks like a Midwestern style basement. Oh yeah. Yep. But uh, the, the, the whole, like, everything is white, really, it really uh, it ties the room it ups, it ups the vibe in that room. It's really nice. It looked much more like a dungeon, actually. That's, that's the way it used to look yep. over there. So uh, we're moving in the right direction. Actually, the basement is the reason why we don't have a running race bar right now. So this is getting um, some paneling put into it going to be a new home office and kids room and we're going to have the pantry over there and uh yeah that's the reason why we don't have a running race car right now that's a brand new excuse no one has ever used why isn't your race car running my basement uh the basement. yeah nobody nobody's ever used that's, that excuse but let's let's be honest that's a real real excuse yeah you can believe that one when you hear that's it. an adult like taking care of business excuse you know, they say, uh, what was the quote in Le Mans? Uh, Racing is life. Everything else is just waiting. And for me, life allows racing. So if my life isn't in order, then I can't race. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, say la vie, right? So put the basement together and then maybe have a race car when you're done. Well, let's, I guess let's, let's enter into the, the deep end and then we'll work our way back shallow then sure um in this metaphor the deep ends the current current life shallow end is behind us i don't know why um so you own a race car correct yeah i do i arguably the race car is more not that this is saying a whole lot but the race car is more famous than i am so i i am the current um, title holder of Dan the Sedan, the EF four-door um, sedan Civic uh, that has been owned by many a grid lifer, including um, Adam Jabay and uh, you know, various other guys um, around the paddock. And uh, it's a beautiful race car. Um, it's been a long time since it's been on track properly, I would say. Yeah, that car has seen things it's i don't the hard part is like i want to say it's I'm, I'm terrible at scca speak but i think it was an stl car 
I started out life as an ITA actually. ITA, which is like slow. I mean, for being yep. honest, it's like a it's a slow of the slow class. Um, but then somehow migrated over into like the community wheel to wheel car for a while. Like the first season of GLTC, that car was driven by more than four drivers over the course of that season. <laughs> I, I believe yeah, that's, that's right. that's correct. And like you, you'll notice in a lot of the photos, it's kind of always at the tail end. So I don't know what motor was in it when they were running it in GLTC. I know in ITA, I think it was running a, a D series, and you know, very similarly, very similarly to other. It's like every other sanctioning body outside of grid life. Um, you have to be very particular with your mousetrap, not just here's the rules, build the best mousetrap. And um, I suppose that's an, an argument starter for some people. But uh, I know that this particular car built by Christian Ship back in, uh, I want to say the early aughts, um, was chosen because of the particular. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Dustin froze. He did froze. It's like, it's a decent kind of froze though. Like, I like the look. It's a yeah, good, he, it's a good. Yeah, picture. it's not an embarrassing look no. at all, which has got that going for him. No, you could use it as like a like a thumbnail for, for Facebook, and Dustin, it wouldn't be bad. Doesn't come back to me. All right, I'm gonna pause the show, and so it can be a clean splice. Right. So uh, the car was built by Christian Ship. Um, shows that car. I mean, very, very great build. An eight-point roll cage, um, rear sway bar tied into the roll cage, um, completely body in white, um, you know, beautiful epoxy paint all the way through. And, the interior, um, like the, the cage and everything was white? Everything. Wow. Yeah, everything. And it's still kind of white. needs cleaned up. But, um, you know, that car was chosen with that wheelbase with those brakes and everything to kind of meet the extent of the rules of, of the ITA class. Mm. I obviously not being an SCCA racer myself. I don't know the, the ins and outs of that, but sure. um, you know, that is kind of what it was for. It's definitely, it's not a, it's not a common car to see in general, but certainly right. not a common car to see on a racetrack, a four door EF civic from that generation. Like you don't, you don't see those. Yeah. And I'm still, you know, I'm learning a lot about it. I mean, um, you know, there's always the, I don't know if you guys get this, but you know, depending on the car you own, that kind of labels you to an extent. Um, I don't know Scott, that you're known as a Miata guy necessarily, but I'm, I'm sure, you know, occasionally it comes with that's, it. That's generous um, of you. <laughs> I, I own two Mustangs at once and still claim not to be a Mustang guy at the time. So I um, was really trying to fight off, off that uh, moniker, but um, I don't claim to be a Honda person, but I own a Honda bike, uh, a Honda fit, a Honda Accord, and then the Honda race car. So there's, there's four there and we're, we're in talks of getting an Odyssey for the family. Yeah. You might want to rethink that. I'm not a Honda guy kind of thing. Cause yeah. All signs point to you being a Honda guy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, there's always the, you know, I, I hate answering questions about myself half the time because it's like, well, do I really think I'm this way and I'm actually not? So, yeah, I get it. but, uh, 
yeah, the, the car um, currently has a B20 uh, VTEC swap into it. Um, I, you know, I don't know how, how deep you want to dive into this, but I can definitely tell you we well, had the, the cart. The, the swap went really easy and like everything worked perfectly first time. I know is like the real answer, right? Well, you know, they say these, uh, these V series and these, these older Hondas are like Lego blocks. And apparently I'm not very good at building Lego. Um, I, you know, I, there's this paradox that I'm not, I'm sure you guys can um, maybe kind of express whether you agree or not, I guess, but everything is simpler than it seems, but at the same time, everything is more complicated than it seems. It's, it's way easier once you know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's easier beyond the veil. Once <laughs> right, once you've climbed the mountain, it's all downhill from there. It's what Seth yeah, is saying. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it is easier if Photo Bucket was still hosting everybody's photos from the early 2000s. Oh my gosh! Yeah, seriously, that's, a thing. that's I think I almost okay. Brief rant. I almost think that was the real death to forums when all yeah. those photo sites shut down and all of a sudden like these huge massive write-ups that you know took people weeks and months of research and work to put together and all of a sudden and hey take a look at this picture blah 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 and you just have like that gray photo image and it's like shit like the write-up is good but like I don't because you're learning that's why you're reading the thing like I don't know what this is talking about yeah, and a lot of times the authors couldn't go back. Like I had a bunch yeah. of threads like that. Like there's no, there's no way for me to go back and find the photos and put them in because I was doing it real time as I did threads. And so once those died, they were dead. Like there was no way I was going to put the effort back together to to do it. Yeah. So I'm I'm a guilty party and partially killing forums because of that. <laughs> I know Scott, you you've heard me complain offline probably quite a bit. Um, I am not pro Facebook, pro Facebook groups. I'm there. I'm there for marketplace. I'm there for the buy sell groups, but, um, I, I shed a tear every time I I need to find some, you know, ancient relic of information on the internet and have to go to these great forums. There's still a a ton of rich information out there, but, uh, it's kind of sad that they're all like these ancient cities that are now, you know, devoid of or void of any people living in them yeah it's just a rubble you're sorting through the rubble of information <laughs> looking for like one beautiful relic that you can use yeah 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 so yeah all that to be said that uh no I, the car never ran right yeah thank, <laughs> thank for bringing us back on topic um yeah, yeah it's let's all right i want to come back to that did but dan the sedan is not the only race car you own well uh, currently what would you uh okay you gotta leave me <laughs> because you I have I love, I love race car guys that are like well i mean technically i mean i drive it on the street so no you own a honda fit that you have competed yeah. in sunday cup with as well yeah oh uh, you, you say compete let's let's put the air quotes on there uh you were in you a know timed event <laughs> That's true. Uh, and what's funny is now that it's basically primarily a street car, it's got more go faster parts on it than it did as a race car. Perfect. So now I, I lucked into a, you know, the, I think 
I'm an engineer. Okay. So I am not, I've got the funds to do what I want, but I think you're going to see a lot of uh, trends in, in, in this discussion in that I try to moneyball everything. And, um, you know, which is probably why the basement has to come before the, the race car. But uh, the Honda Fit that I bought is a 2007 Honda Fit Sport. Um, everybody's favorite faded red, pink, uh, you know, whatever with the faded uh, headlights or headlight lenses. And um, I was daily, this is, this is absolute truth. I was daily driving or daily driving a, an RV um, at the time. So my my early track experiences. The, the were look on Seth's face right now is just genuine enjoyment. Well, I'm trying to figure out: is this like like a like a like a class A, like a class C? I mean, daily driving RV stretches. It's just a big van, basically. All right. Okay. So you were. I mean, not that you were exaggerating all the way, but it's not like you were driving Jabay's bus back and forth to work. No, but I'm also I was driving the vehicle that class C citizens talk me into, I guess you could say, but uh, no, it, it, it's the smallest class C you can buy that has a bathroom, running bathroom, shower, kitchen and everything. So, I mean, it, uh, it did keep us, you know, Scott's seen the inside. It kept us dry during one Autobahn storm, stormy night. Yep. And, uh, but I, it was my daily vehicle in the winter of would have been 2019, 2020 actually. And uh, my first track car and, you know, early track experience was with a, a 2015 Mustang GT. Like every other idiot who's got a little bit of money out there, I spent, you know, $25,000 on a car with 450, 500 horsepower. And it was like, all right, let's go take it to a racetrack and see what it can do. Yeah. And quickly found out that the car was well above my limits. It was a good opportunity to learn, though, because the car was easy to learn how to drive. Um, I always had really trashy tires on it, um, whether I was autocrossing or doing track stuff. I think the best tires I ever had on it were um, Firestone Indy 500s, which were, were pretty good for the money. Great, but, great um, HPD tires. Yeah. Oh, the perfect HPD tires. And uh, But I did do a full season of autocross on... Uh, they were ECSs, DWS, ECS DWSs, yep. and... Um, Obviously not a great autocross tire, at least not in the dry. Yeah. And, um, but I did get to learn a lot about uh, dynamics in that car. So then uh, finally get to sell it because it's, it's the traditional story of like, you buy your hot rod, you take it to a racetrack, then you realize you want to start tracking more. So you sell it and buy a crappy Honda or an older Miata or whatever. Well, and I remember the conversation that like the, the decision-making process for you to sell the Mustang like it took you a while to kind of talk yourself into selling it because like you liked the car. It's a good, cool car. It's got plenty of power, but I remember, I remember you saying to me um, pretty directly, like it's a lot of car and that it's probably more car than you need or can like feel comfortable handling on a track. Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah. I mean, the, the thing for me with, with that car is you know, at my income level, it was an expensive enough car that I felt more comfortable parking it uh, at the uh, at the back of parking lots. Yep. And if you're doing that with a car, you probably shouldn't be tracking it. 
it's a I good, it's a good, good insight. I've <laughs> done that. Yeah. yeah. So, and I also didn't own it outright at the time. So I'm like, Ooh, uh, yeah. you know, I never pushed it um, far enough to, yeah, there was one close incident uh, with a buddy in a uh, charger at Autobahn. It was classic muscle car meathead things. And fortunately, you know, nothing bad happened and it was probably not as close as we were all thinking it was, but um, just sort of a taking to a, a point by a little late into a corner when I shouldn't have. But uh, nonetheless, that was the first time where I was like, you know what, I'm going to sell this. Cause at the time I was, I was getting ready to buy into my next race car, which was going to be a shared ownership, um, which was a 1989 Mercedes 190 E. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time I was like, you know, I'm going to sell this car, stop making um, car payments. And then honestly go out and buy something cheap and just track the hell out of it. Because you know, that's, and it was funny when I made that decision, um, I used to work with uh, Mike Lewin from professional awesome he had mentioned as soon as he found out I was going to do that, he's like, you're following just the traditional track that everybody goes. You, yep. you take your fun car out, realize you could have a whole lot more fun with a lot less money. And um, I, I thought it was the right decision because at the time, the Mercedes, uh, the parts were a little bit cheaper. I owned one fifth of it, not the whole thing. And then um, everything was lighter and easier to, to carry and put together. So like, you know, you go from like a two, 275, 285, 19-inch wheel, factory yep. wheel, yep. Uh, to whatever light 15-inch you can fit onto the Mercedes weird lug pattern it was. Yep. And it was like, well, this is so much easier than lugging around those giant tires. So, you know, that was the, the first evolution into, you know, race car-ness, if yep. you will. Yeah, and the... So the first year of GLTC, the uh, the Benz team, as it was, I think their first race with GLTC was Midwest Festival, if I remember correctly. This would have been 2019, I believe, was the first year. Is that, is, yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that year... Um... I think uh, somebody, I think we were paddock next to where you were camping at the time. Yep. And um, I say we, I, I don't know if I was officially, a, yeah, I would have been on the team by that point. You were definitely but, uh, hanging out with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, once I, uh, once I found out about GLTC getting together and we were already doing champ car stuff. Yep. Um, you know, you go to one grid life. I mean, I, I did the whole thing like everybody else. I mean, my first grid life, um, as a spectator was in 2018. And then I show up and I'm like, this is going to be a bunch of drifting, a bunch of vaping, a bunch of music I don't care about and a bunch of flat brim hats that I'm not going to like hanging around. And the camping vibes are just pretty amazing. Um, you know, I told Gabe, uh, Hammersmith before, um, when, when he was at a uh, Blackhawk farms a couple years ago, grid life was the first event where I saw, rainbow flags and don't tread on me flags flying in the same campground. <laughs> That's amazing. That's yeah. kind of and if, Yeah. And if, if racing can't bring people together, then, then I, I challenge you to come to a, a grid life event and see the different kinds of people that come together. I think it's, it's, it's really amazing. But, um, uh, did the spectating in 2018, 2019 came to the track with the car and, um, 
I told, I told everybody I knew, I said, guys, I don't care whether you're into muscle cars, ricers, uh, time attack, drifting, whatever. We're all going to come out here and go to the racetrack. And if you don't think you're going, if you don't think you're coming, you're wrong. Let's just go see what it's like. And so, you know, my, my second time at a grid life event was, you know, probably bringing 10, 12 people with me. And I think, um, at that point, everybody else was kind of hooked, which is funny because we totally melted the engine down and didn't get a lot of track time in. I've, I was going to share like my first, my first like lasting impression with the team. Like one was the fact that you guys drove like an unmarked white, uh, cargo van as like the the hall van so like all the jokes could be made about that and look who's like the van looks so terrible that a police agency mistakenly used yes. a photo of that van to describe another suspect vehicle on yes. facebook it's true yeah yeah they they used the actual picture of that that particular van that the team had at the hand that they, that they were trying to locate an actual criminal who drove a similar van so that was fun um but yeah, so the the first impression was yeah okay, van make fun of it. They got out like these rubber made like cheap shelves, that, but like they had like boxes and like helmet shelves and stuff. And I was like kind of impressed with the organization because you know that touches my heart. And the second lasting impression was, I'm trying to remember who was driving it at the time. Um, Forrest was driving. And, oh my God, all the names are, um, the guy in glasses. Max, maybe Max. Max. Yeah. They were yelling at each other. Max was so irritated that, uh, he, he swore that Forrest wasn't looking at the gauges and could have like shut it down in time. And Forrest is like, no, I, I, everything seemed fine until it didn't. And they were just. Max was livid at Forrest, and Forrest just kind of shrugged it off and walked off, and they're just left with the hood open and this steaming pile of Mercedes engine uh, just coming out, and I'm, like, standing next to them, and all I say was, like, if there's anything we can do, like, let us know. <laughs> just, like, walked back, walked, like, the two car places back to, like, where we were paddocked, and we're like gonna give gonna give that scene a moment to chill the fuck out you could have you could have uh, absolutely made a reality tv show out of out of that race team without a doubt and yeah. and we still strong personalities yeah, yeah very strong personalities um i would say very little experience um a lot of people coming in with with uh preconceived uh ideas of what what things should be like and um uh, long story short with that that race team is we're all still buddies and we all realize that we kind of need to have our own separate thing to do our own thing and i i think that there's a lot of value in learning how to make that work um learn a lot of things about myself um you always learn more when things aren't going right than when things are going right so that was a really valuable experience with myself you know um, like, well, like Seth, Seth was just saying, uh, you, you don't, uh, it gets easier after the first time you do something or after you figure something out. And I had never swapped an engine before until I was a part of that race team. My first time swapping an engine was in the parking lot of, um, uh, national Corvette museum 
to make race two in a champ car race. And we did. So uh, fired that thing up at 2 a.m., did some donuts in the parking lot to make sure it ran and brought it out to the racetrack, the, uh, brought it out on track the next day. So, um, you know, you, you take I, I think you have to savor those moments. Um, you know, another recurring theme for me is uh, joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is fleeting mm-hmm. and joy is a much longer lasting thing that can endure through several different types of emotions. We've, yeah, we've talked about something similar and yeah happiness yeah happiness uh, you know what it evaporates take your happiness yeah i don't i don't need i don't need it and which is good because i don't know that i don't know how often i experience it anymore but that might just be a a modern like a you know living in 2022 type thing these days yeah Yeah. i don't know i'm happy all the time i don't know why you guys are so Uh, (laughs) seth i i want to read your book (laughs) part of it is that uh, three of my four kids are uh are out of the house so there's more room for for uh relaxation and happiness now so and and he's still a stay-at-home dad and i'm still a stay-at-home dad i'm a stay-at-home dad of one teenager so i mean like how amazing is my life it's pretty dope it's pretty dope (laughs) let's be honest you you've never had to daily drive an rv (laughs) no um (laughs) I, I daily drove a, a terrifying Mercedes minivan, though, um, oh, which is go. which has got to be up there in the emotional scale of yeah. like, is is this going to blow up and cost me more thousands of dollars? Like every time you push the on button and that so that's I, I describe that. I'm just going to go off on a tangent here. I describe that to people like I love cars with keyless like keyless ignition where you just push the button but also they're horrifying because once you push that button you have started a sequence that you can't stop until the car either works or kills itself and like there's no just like turning the key off and saving you and uh there's there's a metaphor for life in there somewhere where there's so many things where you just push the button and you wait to see how it's gonna go and uh yeah, there's there's a happiness and joy thing going on with that too. But no, I've never driven an RV. I've never daily driven an RV. It's crossed my mind because, uh, like, really putting four kids in the back of an RV and driving them to school kind of sounds reasonable at times. As long as you could dump the uh, the, the black water tank into the city sewer, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> because the shitter's full. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, you brought up a really good point. It's another tangent, but has everybody on this call experienced the absolute um, anxiety of driving a car that shouldn't be driven very far, very far to a place you have to be? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's, um, I still own the car. It's my baby. It's my. It's the one thing I would love to eventually have it be ready to do a track day. It'll only ever be HPDE, but I have a 1985 Saab 900 Turbo that is near and dear to my heart. And I had the fan hardwired to a switch. Um, the car always, um, uh, it, it overheated constantly. And I daily drove that for a couple of years at the tail end of college, um, freshly out of college. And I had a buddy who lived in downtown Chicago. He lived just north of Loyola University. And I used to take, I used to pick him up on the way to Road America. And every time traffic started slowing down, I always got really <laughs> nervous we were getting ready to overheat again. Um, it made me feel really good to get a boring Honda to daily drive over that car because it's just like, 
ah, this thing is so wonderful. It's got all the buttons I need. Um, the AC works. It's completely boring, but still, I love this car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, something that works every day is you get to a point in your life where that's really nice. <laughs> it's like a toaster that always toasts bread exactly the way you want it to. Yeah. Like you, could always, you could always go out and make a fire, and you could put two sticks together, and you can toast your bread over the fire and feel like a big you know, manly man doing that. But it's like, this toaster is pretty rad. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So like low key, that's kind of why I love my waffle maker. It's like a dial in waffle maker that like dings when it's like sensed that it's at the right temperature because otherwise like you're always like, is it it ready now? Right now? Because like, as it keeps going, like the time to cook a waffle goes down, but it knows that. And so, like, it's called the no peak waffle maker. You just dial it in and, like, it'll do the ding, ding, ding. Waffle. Waffle. Mm, waffles. Anyway. So, uh, boring Hondas. Uh, the Honda Fit saved me from daily driving the, the RV. I sold the Mustang. Uh, it was December 24th, 2021, I must have been. <laughs> Or 2020. Gosh, I can't remember. The pandemic screwed up my memory. Or maybe maybe just becoming a father's done that. But uh, I daily drove the RV for like two weeks in the middle of the wintertime. Surprisingly, did really well on the snow because of just how heavy it was, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, this guy had this uh, Honda Fit Sport salvage title. Had it listed on Facebook Marketplace for $2,400. Yep. And I decided that even though I really needed it badly... I was going to do the Facebook marketplace thing and show up with less cash in hand and wave it in front of his face. Oh, and, uh, what a dick. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I would, uh, I would have hated being on the other side of this. And so then I bought the car off him for $1,800. Everything works on it. It's got a little bit of rust. And then, uh, Ukraine happened and all the gas prices went up and, it's the best eighteen hundred dollars that I've ever had. I've ever spent. You, so. you got in at the amazing. right time. I like always say you guys. <laughs> it, it was amazing. I agree with whatever she was saying. Yeah. Um. What? Yeah, because that was before the used car market really got out of hand. Yeah. I think so. I bought my house. You know, what's funny is I bought it, it was amazing right before the I housing agree with whatever market. Whatever she was saying. Yeah. yeah. Got out of hand, and then I bought my. Honda right before the used car market really got out of hand. I, I don't know what a salvage title Honda fit with, uh, 170,000 miles and, um, you know, uh, no muffler, you know, straight axle back race wheels would do any, any more in this market, but it's like, why would you ever try to get rid of something like that? sounds like a $5,000 car on Facebook to me. Yeah. Saying. Yeah. Maybe. And it's gone up Pikes Peak. It's raced at Pikes Peak International Raceway. And Scott, as you know, it's been at Mid-Ohio. And um, I will tell you this. The car's still fun, but holy cow, can you do a lot of little things with those cars to make them quite better? And it's got many of the go-faster parts now that it didn't have at Mid-Ohio. And because uh, that thing was, was bone stock when I took it out there. I remember no you, rear sway, no nothing. You killed a brand new set of tires, front tires, and that in short order. I, I did. Um, I've also heard that those 660s can drive through that a little bit. 
but I, I had RT six sixties on it and it did the whole like middle tread sort of feathering away type thing. Yeah, that's fine. Um, that doesn't really hurt them. Just make them look <laughs> that's well, that's, that's what I've heard. Just so shedding the tires are still good. Yeah. Well, maybe. But. You can reverse uh, them. Just, just flop them on the wheel. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. I wouldn't worry about it. You the- know, what was really funny is um, I had to swap the rear uh, dampers, the rear shocks at mid Ohio because when we were out at, uh, at Pikes Peak International Raceway, I had Cody, uh, Cody Smith and, um, and his girlfriend, Elena, in the back. And we were riding on the fender wells <laughs> with the tires <laughs> as we were running around town getting parts for his, uh, for his Oldsmobile at the track. Yep. And finally, I was like, at the next racetrack, we're going to swap these at the track. Fortunately, it was an easy thing to do. But it's still bone stock, but, you know, fun little car. I keep joking with my wife that this will be my stepson's first car. He's six. So I don't know if it'll last that long, but nice. cheap, easy Honda things seem to be, you know, it's one of those other things where it's just another trend for yeah. me right now. Well, let's, I want to go back and talk about this because I mean, you and I had known each other for a while. we had had some good deep conversations at this point. You were one of the, one of the people I really enjoyed talking at the track because it was always like, Hey Scott or Hey Dusty, what do you feel about the state of society? Right? Like it was always like <laughs> something super deep or like, Hey, on track I did this and it made me feel this way. What's that about? Um, How does the K24 swap me out? represent the duality of mankind. <laughs> Fortunately, I was still, uh, I was still living that VVT life. Uh, first season, God, things are so much simpler. Um, so, and it was crazy that season too. Like I started out like being able to beat the bends in almost everything. And slowly, like you guys kept developing it to the point where like, I was fighting for my life to like, keep your bumper in sight. It was, it was a very sad trajectory for me. <laughs> I, it really makes me sad that, so we, you know, we co-own that car and for a normal grid life season, each driver had two races or something or two weekends or something like something that. Like that yeah. And I really wish that we could have had just cloned it and had several of them because I honestly think if the, if the multiple owners thing wouldn't have panned out the way it did, uh, the Mercedes probably would have developed very close, maybe slightly behind the development of the Miata with Robertson racing. I know you guys, I put a lot of development through that over the years and um, it's been really fun to follow and it was really fun to be a part of at one point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. And it was interesting. And, and I think you could definitely speak to this is a lot of the decisions, like when the car, when you wanted the car to do this on track, um, it was a decision by committee to decide what to do about that. So they wanted, so you guys wanted it, you couldn't get uh, power out of the corner. I remember it was one of the issues. And there were a lot of theories on why that was. And of course, even more solutions on what you could do about it. And so it was everything from cutting springs to lengthening travel in the rear to rake um sway bars it was like everybody was and 
I, I remember there were like races and weekends where the development or like the testing phase was just completely like throwing darts blindfolded trying to figure something out versus uh, versus like one person like at least making a decision and seeing how it goes yeah with with the miata yourself how much aba testing have you done with that have you found yourself doing changing one variable trying it and then trying the original again to see if there's been a noticeable improvement in that because the reason I ask is the, yeah. the one thing that that car didn't have, it had, and you, you use the term that I used all the time is decision by committee and how it was just so, um, decision by committee never leads you anywhere. It always leads you in a circle, in my opinion. And that's not to say that you can't co-own a car with friends, but you have to go about it a specific way. But for yourself, I mean, you, you kind of, at least I saw your uh, decision-making probably a little bit different. Um, maybe with only having one person in, in the room, at least one decision-maker in the room, slower time making decisions, validating those decisions, and then confirming them that, that that's the way to go. That's the way I imagine it being. I obviously don't know being on the outside of that particular uh, relationship between those two teams, but. Yeah, I mean, it's, and we've talked about it in GLTC now with the uh, the larger teams that have many different of the same car is because you can try on five different cars, five different things, and your development time has been chopped by 80% because you can try these five different things on, oh, hey, it did this better. Um, it didn't work here, here, and here, but this was interesting but maybe only in these circumstances let's write it down but this is the next step that all the cars are going to go to and then we can take the next step immediately where the miata in gltc which has been super interesting to me because there's a lot of shared information on miatas like as a good starting point um like getting into like gltc trim or something like that but beyond that it's it's a bun- It's several of us Miata NA and B guys kind of doing our own things, and it's we're we're sharing more now than we have for sure, uh, because I think we've kind of realized the positions that we're in. But like, if I were to have my car and I was a team and I was on a Miata team with like two other people, like we could get things figured out and dialed in a lot quicker. But being cash limited, time limited, track opportunity limit, limited, um, some of our decisions had to be a lot more conservative than I think they otherwise would have been. Um, just because like a change in between two races, like I've, I've kind of always been of the mind and I, I can handle myself a little better now, but I was kind of of the mind that's like one, we had to drive the car home. So it's like, I'm not going to drastically change the handling of this car that could literally impact uh, the way that the race went or somebody else. So we're going to like dip our toe here and like change it, see if that was enough. Um, But early on, we did quite a bit of big testing ABA kind of stuff. Um, which really 
really helped us kind of figure out. So now, you know, we're able to make a kind of a definitive change, even if it's a little smaller, maybe than we'd ultimately like. Um, I think we're able to tell whether it goes in a good, good direction or not. Yeah, we, we didn't have the opportunity to develop like that, which, you know, had its own challenges. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, like we had mentioned, we just decided to, to part ways and we're still, I guess, collectively uh, the same. We'll probably, I don't know. The thing is, is I don't know if I should be airing this out on, on a public forum either. Uh, this is where we decide how many people actually listen to the show. I know. Right. No, I, I love, I love my crew bringing an entourage to a track is such a complex thing. Sure. Yeah. It is because like, and I don't know how oftentimes, and I, I feel like I could probably say this pretty unashamedly without, without stepping on any toes. I, I think I've seen, you know, my, my father was a, was a local, uh, not a dirt track racer, but a local paved oval racer. And the type of people that went that, to that type of an event are not the same type of people that go to a grid life event or SCCA for that matter. Not typically. Um, right. But one thing I've noticed is that when you find your helpers, your support people, and I don't, this is probably may, could be a whole nother episode in itself, but there is only so much, I don't want to say it in a negative way. Like you, you, you have to learn how to play the cards you were dealt very, very well. And a lot of times that isn't just, and, and this is where I found myself is, is like putting it out there. You know, this, uh, my 2020 season of racing with, with Dan Sedan was putting it out there and saying, this is the hand I was dealt unashamedly, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I don't necessarily agree with that approach anymore. Um, uh, hence why I'm not at the track this year, but, um, you know, relationship at the track community, um, community at the track, all these things are so really complex for me because you can, you can be on the same page with somebody with one set of, uh, one page of values and then on another page be completely the opposite. And I've always found this, uh, very hard to change from page to page, if that makes any sense. And I don't, I have no idea if that's anything you guys can relate to or not, but it's, it's very difficult for me because I don't want to put on one mask when my kids are around and then put on a different one when my kids aren't there. And I guess that could be something that maybe is more important to me now that I'm, I'm a father and took a year off racing that I will maybe apply moving forward. But I, you know, I'll definitely just say that um, really grateful that um, grid life puts on events where you can have family friendly. I hate that term, by the way, but literally family friendly atmosphere. If you want to cultivate that it's there. Um, and, you know, that's just a complex thing that I think I'm still working out, you know, as I, as I continue down the, the racing journey, if you will. Yeah. Well, one thing complicated with teams that, that I run into is that, for the motorcycle racing I do is that, that everybody who shows up is individually a racer. And so everybody on the team feels capable of being in charge. 
and because of they're in charge of their own racing. So when we race together as a team, they feel capable of being in charge of the team and they probably are, but you can't have five people in charge every day. Like, like every time you show up at the track, you can't have five people in charge. You need to have one person who is either delegated as the person in charge or just naturally rises to that position. And then everybody else has to accept that on that day, or it's going to be a problem. And actually in my motorcycle racing, I, I, they have just accepted me as the dad position. Like I'm not really in charge, but I'm the dad. And so like, when I look at you and I make that face and I'm like, this is what we're doing now. Everybody's like, all right. And they just sort of roll with it. (laughs) And part of that was because like, I literally for, for years, for the last three years, I have been a dad at the track because my daughter's been with me the whole time. So I had to be, when I was at the track, I was always in a father role. And so I just applied that to my team members way less than I did my kid. But, you know, there was, you know, if I was 100% dead to my kid, I was like 40% dead to the guys on the team. And they just all rolled with well, it. And, um, I, and I was going to say, I think that's an important part when talking about roles, too, is like you knew when to exert that dad power and when not to. Like right. you weren't always stepping in saying, nope, this is how it is. Um, right. This, no, we're, you guys are being dumb amateur kids or whatever it is like you you knew your your place and your time and your role and i think in certainly what i've seen with some teams um that can do it very well is that they definitely do have jobs and positions and specific roles but they trust and respect each other enough to only lead over into somebody else's role when it's appropriate and necessary to do so. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where I think what I was seeing with um, the For Sake of Racing, which was kind of your guys' team as well as some, some other race teams, is that it was everybody's always involved for everything. And, and that's certainly an exaggeration. Um, but no, I, I think that's a, a really, I think that's a valid point. I, it brought up something that I've always wanted to talk to you about, Scott. And, and Seth, I think you probably have some interesting insight to this as well, uh, based on what your guys' show has been about in the past and these types of discussions. But, uh, and Scott, I think you'd have a very unique perspective based on your values that I understand in racing, in particular with, with GLTC and how it should be done right. Um, I think, and I'll just say the shallow statement. I don't know if this is true or not. It certainly feels this way sometimes, but I feel in order to succeed on track and in particular wheel to wheel racing, um, you have to be extremely selfish. And, and, and that comes at a whole bunch of different aspects that I've collected. Now I, I would like to say that I'm wrong and, or, or that's probably why I'll never be ultimately successful at what I do, or I'll have to redefine set success in a different way. It's not necessarily standing on a podium, but um, in order to pass the next guy or prevent the guy from behind you from, from passing you, you have to put yourself in a position that doesn't grant them any opportunity to do so. Um, you have to be able to go out there and, and put yourself 
literally in order to function on a racetrack, you have to forget about everything else outside the, the windscreen. You have to solely think about where your car is. I mean, in its purest form and in a sense, and, and I'm not, I'm not speaking from a truth standpoint. I just am curious as to what your guys' thoughts are on this, but even as I'm driving around a track, making sure that I'm putting my car in an appropriate place, sometimes it's in getting out of the way of a leader. Right. But um, it is ultimately complete selfishness of, how does this assembly driver and machine function at its fullest level? And uh, I feel like, especially based on the conversations that I've heard you guys had in the past on the show, you probably, I'm not sure if you thought about that directly, but may have some, some interesting insight or rebuttal to, you know, sort of a shallow statement like that. I'll, I'll be interested to hear Seth's comments. Um, because I know the one thing in motorcycle racing that uh, he explained to me that I didn't really understand was um, that motorcyclers don't really see what's behind them. Um, so I think the attitude of um, not paying attention to anything necessarily outside of like you and your machine necessarily has to change with motorcycle racing um, and setting up passes, but I'll kind of let, Seth going whatever direction he wants you. I know in GLTC, um, I, I think there's a balance between ego and not like capital E ego. Like I am the only thing in the universe, but lowercase ego as in this is who I am, what I'm capable of. Uh, these are what I bring to the table and to this race. Um, I describe it, uh, to some of my teammates as well as uh, some of my students as taking up space is you and your car take up space on track and they should take up space on a track. And it's very difficult in a wheel-to-wheel race when, especially when you don't feel like you belong um, or that you're less than everybody else around you that you just like, kind of want to let everybody go by just kind of fade in but like i think you you have to exist you have to know your lowercase e ego you have to take up space but it also is a team sport at least how i view it and you have i i have to pay attention to who i am on track uh the kind of moves i make are not moves that force the other driver into a situation where they have to give way or else. Um, but it's how do I pass this person while not making contact and allowing them to continue to stay on the racing surface. But I still want them to, I still want to pass them. Like I want them to do as well as they can, but I just want to beat them. Well, how do you pass like a buddy? Right. Like, sure. Essentially. Yeah. I, I mean, I, th- yeah, I think, I think that gets into the difference between, um, the, the selfishness you're talking about, the, the sort of like, I need to do this for me moments on track, um, which, which I think we would agree sort of has to happen. That's sort of like making that room to, to put your car, your motorcycle, and the, I think the evolution of that as you, 
as you drive more and more, it becomes a way of, of earning res- the respect of those people around you. Um, you don't have to, to tell people that you're taking the spot. They understand that you're there because you deserve it. Um, and so then it becomes less about, about people making things happen and more about them happening, happening organically amongst a group of people that all have respect for the activity and respect for the ability of the people around. Um, and I got to experience that this weekend. Um, I had some very similar situations with very different outcomes this is the first time I crashed my race bike um, during a race was this weekend. And that was, that was purely because I had battles with people that had respect for what we were doing and how we were doing it. And I had battles with a particular person who was just going to put his bike there because he was going to pass me. And and there, the feeling between those interactions are very, very different. Um, if I can trust, if I can trust someone to put a wheel up inside me, and whether I turn across on them or not is because I know, like, like you can just you can you can feel it in their body English. You can trust them as a person um, to know what's going to happen. Versus like, if somebody shows up there, you know, they're going to T-bone you. Um, and, and those are different, different ways of doing things. Um, and, and so I think there, you, I think everybody starts out racing with that selfishness. And I think the really good racers turn that into a, a track full of mutual respect, um, through the process of learning to race well. Um, if that makes sense, or if you have any questions and try to like make my brain sort that out better, but I've been thinking about it since yesterday, since I got, I got punted yesterday. Um, so it's, it's actually deeply on my mind right now. No, I, I, and I think for me, I'll just real quickly, I think that matches my, my experience in that there are some people you race around that want to beat you. And there are some people who you race around who want to race with you and come out ahead of you. And those are very different, uh, languages. And you can, you can see that. Um, I think it's a little bit easier to see on motorcycles because you can, you can physically see the person, you can see how their head's moving. You can see, I mean, you can see their hands on the controls. Um, and in a car, you're just, you are much more just trying to read the, the body language of the automobile. Um, but, you you can know these things and you can know people who are better at this um and it's not even about driver skill it's about racing skill because those are two separate things um but yeah there's 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 something going on this is probably a whole nother show that i need to like like emotionally untangle myself from the weekend before i uh before i get into the show but uh yeah, there, there's in, in that selfishness. So, so there's, a, there's an argument that in business that, that those people that are inherently a bit more selfish are the ones that get ahead. And 
there's probably a little truth to that, but I think the the other aspect of it is that there are people who create the actions that that create the the atmosphere of respect tend to be the people that are looked to as leaders and then tend to be promoted as leaders and then tend to go forward. And some of that is inherent in them just as humans. You know, there there are people that are better leaders like they were from the time they were two years old, they took control of, you know, the first preschool class, you know, and they were like, all right, everybody, we're building the blocks now. And everybody just sort of followed along with them. And then there's some of that that can be taught and, and nurtured. And in, in inevitability, there, inevitably, there's a little bit of selfishness that goes along with that. But I think it's less about selfishness and more about creating in an aura around you, a space around you that people understand that, that you should be there. And when they, ex- when they expect you to be where you are, just like on track, like I expect you to come on the inside of the corner, the car will overlap. We will give each other room and we'll move through there. Then there there's a mutual respect and, and nobody feels bad about it. Um, and, and I think people get ahead in business and in life in those environments. It kind of sounds uh, similar to what you guys kind of started the show about or around the how you do anything is how you race type of a. Yeah. How you do anything is how you do everything. Everything's interconnected. How you do so everything, right? that, that justifies our, how we, uh, we play on track because really if we're just learning life lessons, it's not totally selfish, right? We're, uh, we're out there becoming better people by racing. And this, this is kind of a good transition for me because Dusty, you and I had uh, shared an experience on track that like, gave me a very concrete example of exactly what we talk about on this podcast. And it put a mirror up to me, and I really didn't like what I saw. Um, so first year GLTC, we're at Road America. Big, fast track. Um no runoff. No. It's grass. Yep. And grass and then walls <laughs> right there. And I'm, I was certain we were certainly racing towards the back of the field, but the back of the field, we, there were several of us that were very tight, made speed in very different ways. And I remember the race in question, uh, Tom O'Gorman was driving somebody else's car. I don't remember whose car it was, but it was not his car. And it broke down coming out of the carousel and it got parked at the impact zone of the kink. And I remember Tom got out of the car and hopped over the barrier, which was a thing. But as I recall, this was that race. This was that race. (laughs) And I recall like, I was able, if I did it right, I didn't have to lift from the corner before the carousel to Canada. Eight. Yep. yep, eight all the way to Canada. Um, And I know you guys did. You guys had more power than I did, so straight line was definitely, so I had to maximize the corners. And I remember that my I could carry enough speed out of the carousel going into the kink that I could kind of catch up to you guys before the long straightaway and kind of start all over again. And I had Ben Horesco 
on my butt who's driving the crappy red spec Miata. Um, and he and I were just duking it out all weekend with uh, John Raymond and Jorge Ortiz back there. We had like a really slow group of Miatas, which was just the most fun. And I was coming up to you quick enough that I was, I knew I was faster in that section, but we were like almost at the turn in point for the kink. And I had a Benz filling my windscreen. Like I'm, I'm low enough to where like, I can't see through your car. Like your trunk is above my eye line. And I had a loud shitty red spec Miata on my ass and we were we were a train coming in and i remember like i'm like mentally setting up it's like all right he's there so i'm gonna like lift just a little little before the turn in just to get a little bit more speed and we'll make it through and right as i start to lift i see brake lights from the bends and like all of a sudden like you know i go into like immediate response mode where like I lift and have to break my mind immediately forgets about Ben behind me. Like I'm just trying not to like bump you and over rotate my car into oblivion. And we make it, we make it through like chaos in my mind and whatnot. We make it through. And I remember that was, that was, I don't think that was halfway through the race. That seemed like earlier on. Yep. But it mentally ruined me for the entire race. I was, and again, like as a as a male, like a accepted common response is anger. So it's like I was mad for the race, but I was mad because I was scared. Like that scared the shit on me. We're at the kink. I couldn't see in front of me. I had a dude on my ass. And I like thought I was about to die, <laughs> so I was. Well, just... what was crazy about that too is yeah, that we please. were. I think that whole that whole pack was hauling through there because I, you had a different perspective than I did, but it seemed to me that you were not that far behind coming out of the carousel. I would almost consider you right there, anyways, and you were gaining by the time we get to uh, the kink. And I remember thinking in my mind, well, this car has always got more speed. I don't need to worry about that. We get to the kink. We're carrying more speed than I have done previously, I guess I would say. Yep. And I'm in a situation where I'm like, okay, I am not comfortable with where we're heading here. Um, I, I attempted a, a hand signal that didn't work because you, you had your eye line was like below. <laughs> I, the, th- the, I legitimately the the don't line. think I could see. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but what was really funny is like, I got through that and I probably had the same, same, uh, same aftermath uh, emotions as you did. Now I didn't have my race ruined. I think that, I think that is a really interesting conversation point to it as well. Um, and I don't know where you want to take that, but I, I see one of the problems that I always had with that team aspect of that race car is if somebody was assigned something and they didn't do it exactly the way that I thought they should have done it, that would ruin my whole weekend working on the car. And that's mm-hmm. a me thing, right? That's sure. a, weird perfectionist type of a thing that I've had to, and I'm still um, unpacking, you know, as, as I mature, but I remember after that race coming over like an ape to you, what the hell was that? You know, like I kind of had my, my face on and like, 
And then I realized you weren't having any of it. I was like, oh, he's, he's pissed. And I'm kind of upset. <laughs> this is not good. I'm just going to turn around. I don't even know that we spoke very much right at that, that moment. I, I don't recall at this it point. It was fairly brief. I remember, I remember <laughs> you being taken aback and I knew I needed a minute. <laughs> that's, that's kind of my impression of it. Yeah. It, and, but essentially like for me, what it did, like even more like than the decisions that made like what actually happened is the fact that like I got in a situation that scared me and I dwelled in that same emotion for the rest of the race and let that color everything that happened for the next 10 minutes probably. And so I was driving uh, mad, scared, uh, definitely like I'm sure my vision was terrible. My breathing was off. I'm sure my body was tense, like just physiologically, mentally, emotionally, like I was just wrecked because of one event. Um, and that, again, like I thought about that in the, the following weeks and stuff. And like, especially at the time, like, yeah, that's totally how I did life. Like if one little thing or even one medium thing happens, like I would dwell in that uh, rumination is what they call it. Uh, I would ruminate in that and just soak, soak in it and just let it uh, affect me and my life way more than it really needed to. But I found that out because of an on-track experience that I had. Like I really realized that that's like crap these two things are connected. Like how I do things in real life is how I do them on track. Damn it. And I, and I don't want that. This is one of those things to where, uh, I feel like we know each other. I don't, I don't know how well we know each other. Certainly we're comfortable with each other, but I'm going to uh, marry not, you here in like a month. That's true. So, I mean, there's, there's that. <laughs> That's true. And you got engaged almost on my, on the day I got engaged, believe it or not, it was like two days difference. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> well done. You too. <laughs> but, um, hopefully, hopefully you did better than I did. I, I didn't like the way I had to do it, but anyways, regardless, <laughs> I just didn't have the, uh, the flair that I, I was hoping for, but, um, uh, we don't, I don't know that we've been able to experience our track selves very much. Uh, because just the, the nature of how I shared a car and then had some difficulties last year, taking a year off now. Um, and I look forward to learning the track aspect of, of my colleagues, my friends, my peers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think you and I have talked about this a lot in, in other, in other, uh, uh, consequential discussions, I guess, but like, I feel like if you raced against me or, or anybody, or I raced against other people enough, the quote unquote, and I know we've talked about it before, but the chip on the shoulder might come out. And I'm really interested in that because I don't, you can address so much of it without seeing it in plain sight. Right. And uh, that is something I'm really looking forward to is this psychology of the every weekend in every weekend out sort of thing on track and I don't, maybe I'm not prepared for it, but the, just the unpacking of myself through 
trying to keep a car nose pointing forward on a track with other people doing the same thing. It's so hard. <laughs> it, well, here's the thing. Like, I, I think it's hard because it's all like in the moment consequential stuff, but I think it's so much more laid bare in that it's a lot, I don't want to say more clear, but it's a, there are fewer variables going on that I think it's a lot more clear of, I decided to do this because of this. And then this is what I chose to do after that, where I think there are a lot more complications in real life and things. So I think like the examples that you can pull from racing are a lot, are a lot more clear oftentimes, but I think changing them is every bit as hard as it is outside of the car or off a motorcycle or out of a cart. I think that's what makes racing such a good teaching tool for, for you as a person is there, there's less extenuating circumstances Um, in life. When something happens and you feel bad about it, you can, you can sort of guess at a whole bunch of reasons or different people, or you should have done this or this. And in, and in racing, like I feel bad because of this thing. And it's, it's very often like one thing that happened that made me into this person that feels bad and isn't acting well. And so you get to, you get to react to, to very specific circumstances and you get to learn to react. You get to learn how you react. You get to learn who you are as a person. Um, and the, so because the, the causes of those things are, are much more straightforward and linear, um, the solutions to them, at, at least on the surface are much more straightforward and, and linear. And so it, it really does teach you not only who you are, but, but what you need to be to be better, to be the better version of yourself. And then you, you apply racing. Hopefully you apply racing to the rest of your life and you go, Oh, this is kind of where I'm, I'm being shitty as a dad. And, and now because I've learned, I've learned how to be better as a racer. I can also apply that to learn to be, to be better as a dad in those moments um, where like I'm upset and angry because you, you'll be upset and angry racing and you'll be upset and angry as a dad. And if you can learn to be better at one of those, you can learn to be better at the other one of those. Um, and so those, those two feed off each other. Um, if, if, and- you, if you let them if you allow them, if you allow them to. And that's, that's part of why Scott and I do this, this dumb show is because we, it, it, it makes us like, we, we keep each other in check. We're, we're like, well, you know, like you have to, you have to do this to be better. Um, I don't know if we are, I think we are. I think I am. I think that's so. clearly amazing. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to being better next year. Yeah. Yeah. And you are, Becoming a dad. You are a dad and becoming a dad. I have, yeah, I am getting a crash course with a six-year-old. I've been a dad for five months now. I'm like a biological father for, Mm -hmm. for five months now. And this, that is, this is, that is so complex. It just is weird <laughs> and crazy and, you know, covered in goo because children drool and are gross, but at the same time, like fluids everywhere. Disgusting and adorable. 
I, uh, my, my, my wife and I just went through a thing the other day where she was uh, clipping fingernails and she accidentally clipped one too close. Um, oh. The baby got upset and I think she bled a little bit. And uh, the emotional response that I received, that I experienced um, having received that through a text message <laughs> really actually surprised me. It actually really surprised me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, <laughs> I think, uh, I think the racing thing will do the, th- this, the same thing where it shows you more about yourself than, than what you think. Where You can always tell yourself who you really are until something brings a mirror in front of your face, whether that's a child or, or how you, you behave on a racetrack. But I, I will just say that, and I don't know if it's a father-daughter thing, but uh, the emotions that I am experiencing now, which I think, I've, I think you and I, Scott, off track, I've always kind of told you that I, I've always hated how emotional I am. I don't know that I always show it, but I, I hate it. I, I experience crazy emotion all the time. And uh, uh, doing this father thing has turned everything up to 11. <laughs> yep, it'll do that. Maybe it's a good test. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll come back and be a little bit more level-headed when it comes to driving. I, I don't know. Maybe. I, I can certainly tell you that, um, and you guys both know this being dads, but uh, perfection is not something that I, that I let bother me anymore. <laughs> and it, but you made that decision because you, right. you certainly could have hung on to that and had a rough time. Um, I, uh, I went into the office the other day. I had to rush quickly. I'd had the, I had had the baby moments before. And I had, I had, I had some spittle on my shoulder and 10 months prior, that would have drove me insane. I would have taken the shirt off, burned it, threw it away. And the entire day I decided, uh, you, you know, what's funny is something very similar. And I actually heard just to tie it back into racing and I, hopefully I didn't no, derail anybody's point, but uh, on slip angle, uh, Adam was talking about an off podcast conversation he was having with somebody how once you get into a certain point on in in a certain position on racetrack you have to stop making decisions and just decide i'm okay to do this here now and it's just sort of autonomous at least until the next corner i'll give you a great example um when when we had the mercedes during one of the audubon weekends um one of the kellys had to start behind us in one of the races probably due to a uh, some sort of an on-track issue or something and going into turn one at Audubon um, we didn't qualify last you know we probably had four cars behind us and um, one of the faster cars made it three wide going into turn one and I knew immediately you know turn one I don't remember what part is actually turn three but that first complex at Audubon yep. double triple right hand or whatever it is I knew at that moment, I actually don't need to worry about or see what's going on beside me. As soon as I saw the car next to me, knowing the car that started next to me was next to them, all I have to do is keep the car on the rails for the next complex of corners yep. until we, because my decision's been made. Um, and now I'm on this autonomous, I've actually just like, you know, to bring it back to what Seth said earlier, the button, the push start button has been started for better or for worse. I'm here. Follow the follow the process until the next opportunity to make a real choice. Then I can make that choice. I mean, very similarly to, to having some spit or baby throw up or whatever on my shoulder. This is the hand I was dealt. I don't have another 
garment to, to fix this. I have to do this thing at, at the office immediately right now. It might be uncomfortable. It might be something I don't like, but here's where I'm at. See it through and then let it bother me after the fact. And you're going to have a million moments as a dad where there's, I, I mean, there's, there's only so many things that are in your control and and you can't let the things that aren't in your control bother you in those moments. I was going to say an economy of control. Like Right. Yeah. yeah. And and so the those those prayer. things that those things that that you're capable of having an impact on are are the things that you need to focus on in those moments. And that's just like racing. Um there are there are only so many things that you have control of while doing a lap. And if you start focusing on the rest of the things, you take away from from the moments that you have and from the things that you do have control of. And that re- is going to relate directly back to fatherhood. Um, so um, I think the, the people that I've looked up to that are good dads, um, you see them roll through a lot of things and then get very serious about other things because they've decided to, to prioritize um, or they've learned to prioritize those, those sorts of things. Um, and like, like racers, you can learn a lot about, about fatherhood by watching good dads uh, interact with their lives. Um, same as you can watch good racers interact with the track and other racers and learn from them. So You're doing great. Keep yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're awake this late at night with a, with a five-month-old. You're doing yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, we, we were actually up. She's got a really bad cough right now, which means that we all have a really bad cough. <laughs> right. And uh, that's a new experience for me too. But uh, we were up probably six times last night because of said cough. And then we also had a thunderstorm roll through. So I will tell, you know, what's, I, we don't need to, I don't need to wax poetic about this too much, but I will tell you this. When my wife, when we, well, when we found out we were having a baby, and I was told the, the most advice I was getting from most of my friends who are fathers are you will be surprised how tired you can be and still get through the day. Um, and I was like, well, I've, I've done grid life. I've done, I've literally walked around a campsite with a beer in my hand until two thirty in the morning, made it up for a 7am driver's call. I've worked on a race car. I've only done this a handful of times till 3am the day before track day. I've done an engine swap um, during a race weekend. I'm ready for this. And this, yeah, this is a different level. It's, it's not even in the same book. You tear up the book, throw it away. This is something completely different. And also you can't just leave. I can leave Dan in the sedan in the garage for 10 months and it's fine. That's another thing that I'm not used to is there is no option of just letting it sit. So that's what, uh, as a stay at home dad, everybody asked me like, like, how do you, like, how is that? And the single word that describes fatherhood to me, especially with young kids is, is it's, it's not hard. It's relentless. And, and it's just nothing about it is difficult, but it's there all the time because you, you can't, like you say, you can't be like, you can't care for your kid 80% of the day. Like you really have to care for your kid a hundred percent of the day when they're little like that. And there's not, 
aside from passing a kid back and forth, you know, good parenting, looking at your looking at your wife and being like, dude, she needs like 20 minutes or, or, or she's going to melt down and die and being able to read that expression on her face. Um, like it's relentless and you've got a long time that it's going to be relentless. Like <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yep. You know, I, I'm, I'm very the opposite end of the, uh, the, the timeline as you are. So, <laughs> well, is there, um, anybody you want to say hi to anybody? Uh, I know you're not on Facebook much, but any, uh, any socials you want to put out there? No, I don't think so. I, 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 I tell you this, we're, we're working on it. Um, I've recorded podcasts for a long time. I love the, I love the medium. I actually am not a big fan of, of Facebook or uh, sorry. Of course I'm not. No, that's, that's a non zero point. Uh, I'm not a big fan of YouTube because um, I, if it's a, if it's a medium that I can consume while I'm driving, actually I will dive into a small thing real quick and I won't take up too much time. Some of my favorite movies the radio has something to do with the movie and i'm talking vanishing point i'm talking uh oh jack the wolfman from american graffiti and even this newer movie that i recommend everybody to go see called in the vast of night it's like a kind of a thriller light thriller um very cool set in the 50s radio djs trying to investigate weird things going on around town and my love for that medium and how you can be in your car and, or working on your car, not missing anything and, and get the whole story, um, you know, is, is exactly what podcasting is doing these days. I love what you guys are doing. Um, Cody Smith and I have, we are slowly putting something together and I'm hoping eventually here soon we can have that out there. Some people can, can look out for it. Um, it's another damn racing podcast of course. But, um, yeah, I just, I like, I like this. I like, I like what's happening. I like the fact that I can tow to a racetrack and, and consume the media that I want. And hopefully it doesn't cause any mental decay either, which for the most part has not. So, but, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. Write me, send me an email. Um, uh, Mennonite Fury at gmail.com, M E N O N I T E F U R Y at gmail.com. Um, that is one of the more brilliant great. email addresses I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. It's, you know, it's my fun little semi religious take on what Marilyn Manson did with his name. So I was like, well, I'll take yeah. pacifist, the opposite of pacifist, throw them together and make it an email. Uh, it's the gamer tag on Xbox as well, but that doesn't happen too often anymore. But no, I just, uh, I, the only thing I would say is just, um, I just want to exist in it all. And um, I like having conversations with people about this stuff. Um, and I like doing it slowly. I think we do things so quickly these days. I like doing it slowly with uh cup of coffee in my hand or you know uh if if i had it my way we'd all be writing each other le- uh, letters again so but uh yeah no no social medias um nothing on my end well we appreciate your time dusty thanks for uh hanging out with us for the three of us i'm scott and i'm seth and i'm still a dad 
We'll talk to you guys next week.